As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I get the distinct pleasure to sit across from the president of the Horizon Community Funds of Northern Kentucky, board chair-elect at the Metropolitan Club, and executive board of the Pritchard Committee for Academic Excellence, Nancy Grayson. Nancy, thank you so much for being here. It's an honor to have you in our studio today. It's such a privilege to be here. I've been excited to film this podcast with you. That's exciting. That's very good. So for those listening, Nancy and I do a lot of community work together. It's true. You know, I feel like we're locked in arms. We think similarly of the impact that we as humans need to have in our lives and the way we're raising our children to have impact in their lives and the way we're trying to really encourage kind of the next generation to rise up. So Nancy, you and I had true exposure through the Education Council. I mean, we've known each other for many years. Yes. But our real, like, working together hand-in-hand was through the Northern Kentucky Education Council during your tenure there. And I appreciate, I felt honored to be invited as a business owner to get involved in these kinds of conversations, right? And it was important to the organization, also to me personally, but I really think for business and community members to step up and get involved in education, it's something that... I loved on my day in and day out job when I was working there at the Education Council so much so that even when we, what we call cheated on Kentucky (laughs) for three years and moved to Boston, when I came back, I accepted my old position actually. So when I came home, I went back into my old seat working with community members and trying to really improve outcomes for students. So I'm grateful for your involvement through that organization, but really just all the people who get involved. There's so many people who are unsung heroes, I think, for stepping up for students and for schools and our communities. Yeah. Yeah. And so many times I know we have in interviews here where we're encouraging those listening to think about the education around them Mm. and how everybody's looking. How do we retain employees? How do we engage our people? How do we help them grow and develop in a great way is certainly volunteering at local schools. And it's an easy access point. It is. Well, and there's so many different ways, too. I mean, for me, I'm a parent, right? I have two daughters, one who just finished her first year of college, and my younger daughter is getting ready to be a junior in high school. So both public school students, we have a lot of friends who do parochial schools, private schools. Everybody has a different background, and we all bring different perspectives, I think, when we think about education. But that's the beauty of getting involved is you can bring those experiences to bear in what you're doing. So if it's in a little way, I think just helping out for events is probably the easiest way that as a parent or as a community member, you can show up for a short period of time. But there are a lot of mentoring initiatives that are really emerging, a lot of ways for out-of-school time for you to support if it's a business, whether that's financial, which is always needed, of course. But I think really the resources of how do you have your own talents that you can bring to the table for students to learn from so that they can hone their own skills. Mm-hmm. 
And we look at that, you know, from an employment branding standpoint. Oh, yeah. An organization is also building a reputation in their local community. Yes. There are adults attached to every child or most children. Yes. That there gives an opportunity that, hey, and you're close to us and Mm -hmm. you're giving back and your employees. I know I hear so often even executives in town that are involved in adopt a class or one-to-one that they say this is some of their brightest points of every month is when they go read a few books to a young child. Yeah, I find, and I think we'll talk about this quite often during this podcast today, that yes, there is an actual physical change that happens in your brain when you volunteer, when you give, either of your time, talent, or resources. And so there is also an even bigger impact in the community that I think to know that you're getting this personal benefit for yourself in addition to helping others is something that's really rewarding, and we hear that consistently. The other thing is there is research out there that shows that when students have a meaningful relationship with an adult in their life, a positive one, whether that's mentoring or a coach or a teacher or even just a neighbor, those students are more successful. They're more hopeful. They're more engaged, and there's a lot of data that surrounds those students being able to continue on and be fruitful in whatever it is that they want to do in their future. Nancy, so what if I'm listening and that's just not me? Mm. Like I haven't grown up around philanthropic people. Our organization is so doubled down on investing back in ourselves that we're not thinking about the community around us. Or what if I'm a young adult tuning Mm. in that's thinking, you know, I don't even know where to start and I don't have millions of dollars to give. Right. How do you respond to an audience like that? Well, and this is something that we talk about a lot with our board at the Horizon Community Funds with other community leaders and influencers like yourself. How do we give opportunities to students, to young professionals, to even established community members for different ways to get involved? I think it changes over time. Certainly, there are many established organizations and institutions, United Way, the Chamber, churches, the Metropolitan Club, other social organizations that are more formalized, I think, in how they approach things. That's an easy way to go to kind of a trusted community organization or group. But if you're trying to do something, little acts have that ripple impact, I think, in making change in the world. So if it's something as little as getting involved in your neighborhood, or if you live in a building or or perhaps a more loosely organized setting in where you're living and working and playing, then maybe it's finding people who have something in common with you, even if it's work. I don't think it has to necessarily be around a specific cause that you both feel passionate about, although that certainly helps. But I think when you start finding commonalities, there's little things where you can connect with others and start making little changes, and then it can be more formalized as you continue to do that. So certainly organizations are out there that are ready (laughs) for that next wave of leaders to step up and start getting involved. But if you're feeling a little bit shy or unsure of how to do that, I think there are little ways you can get involved in your local community, just in your most immediate neighborhood. Even. I know, and I'll share with our listeners that Centennial today, our search firm and the Talent Magnet Institute both have a reputation of being giving and being involved in the community. And as the president and leader and the culture tone setter of, of the organizations, it really started with being encouraged as a young child to understand the value of a dollar yes, and to say, you know, I always had a piggy bank that had 10%. So Mm -hmm. I had to give 10% Mm -hmm. to tithe and to community and what might that look like. And I know even in my church, our pastor 
encourages like, you know, too much is given, much is expected. Mm. And you shouldn't just be giving to your church. You should be looking for ways to give $100 to a neighbor who's in need or buy someone a tank of gas or, you know, pay a bill because you know someone's struggling or look at that organization that you really have a passionate about or where your kids have a passion about and support that, right? Yes. And how are family, what are family members and your family being effective by? Mm. Have you ever thought about walking a 5K? Have you ever thought about being a part of some type of, you know, GoFundMe site just to help someone with $25. doesn't have to be $25,000. And I know we talk about that quite a bit in the Horizon Community Accelerator work that, yes. that we do together. Yes. That you lead to really think about how we educate people that, you know, a quarter replicated over 10,000 people can make a big difference. Right. But also, you know, obviously we talk about foundations. You know, at some point you want to have a foundation, a family foundation, but it doesn't always start there, especially for children. Right. And a great way to get started is to, you know, give a child $100 mm-hmm. and where would you donate this money and how would you split it up and what would you think? So I had that experience as a child. Ooh. And, you know, my parents were always talking about giving and serving and, you know, whether it was making dinner for somebody who needed dinner because they just had a child or a death in the family. And that spirit of helping and serving has continued. So for that, to our listeners, I really want to encourage you to think that way. Like think small, but think Mm -hmm. like this actually changes the way people humanly think. Yes. And And your brain looks different when they're tracking that energy and those connections those neural stimuli, those actually are increasing when you're starting to do something for others. So there is research there. There are also a lot of really great programs that are starting to connect with schools for students so that they're able to provide experiences. There are many families who support this, but there may be some students who don't have that opportunity at home, wherever they are. So schools and also nonprofit organizations are looking at ways to provide service learning, much like Children, Inc., really kind of being a leader in that space for our community. How do we learn about the world around us and also the world beyond our region? And how do we make an impact there with service? And then thinking about uh, philanthropy, taking the stigma out of that word and allowing students to see if you have a gift, such as through the Magnify Giving Program, which was established by this incredibly forward-thinking, generous gentleman named Roger Grind, who has really created a movement, I'm going to say, for youth in our community based on the Mayerson Initiative at NKU, Northern Kentucky University, for those of you listening outside of the Northern Kentucky area, and Dr. Vertruba, who was president at the time and helped to bring this initiative in, where students learn how to grant money out. So they learn about nonprofit organizations, about issues that they care about, and then they take the money that they are provided as a class from sponsors around the community, it can be a business, it could be an individual, whomever, and then they grant that money out and they're able to see the benefit that they're making from their group decision-making. So to your point, not just one person, but the collective group, these experiences are starting to happen all over greater Cincinnati. It's super exciting for me. And whenever I'm on a webinar, I'm always trying to keep up to date on the cutting edge of philanthropy and giving and volunteering and Quite frankly, Magnify Giving and the Mayerson Initiative at Northern Kentucky University are always listed as these kind of gold standards through okay. which people are getting really excited about that next wave of leaders. Because leaders, in my mind, if you're a strong leader, you have to serve. 
John F. Kennedy Jr., that was something that he promoted. And so for us, it's thinking about what do we do over generations to help encourage that happening more. Nancy, you shared you spent a few years in Boston. I know you look to and research organizations nationally and globally. How are other communities any different, if at all, of what we're trying to do here in Cincinnati? Yeah, we had a wonderful three-year, really three and a half years for my husband, Trey, when he was serving as the director of the Institute of Politics at Harvard, which was the Kennedy family's legacy in honor of JFK to really encourage students to go out and to serve, whether that was run for office or step up and volunteer. And when we lived up there, we learned quite a lot, obviously about Harvard University, but also about the community as a whole and our global community. I think that was something that was very eye-opening for me, also very formative for our daughters who were in elementary and middle school at the time. But looking at the world from really a larger vantage point where we see that the differences that separate us, although maybe geographical or cultural, really aren't as different as and as broad as we think that they are. So that was a vantage point that I had in terms of how that worked. It looked different, I think, just because of the larger amount of diversity that people, when they came together and were listening, the views were completely different, but that we were able to sit down at a table in a forum that allowed to have civic conversation and civil discourse (laughs) was important to us. I think that's something that our girls have brought back with them when we came back to Northern Kentucky. And we actually have a lot of pockets of that here too, but I think sometimes we might get stuck in our day-to-day and forget that there is a lot of diverse opinion and thought and background, whether that's socioeconomic or cultural genealogical, what have you, there's opportunity for us to come together in an even deeper fashion here. So when I was in that setting in Boston, I noticed that that's something that I feel very passionate about, making sure that we bring back here. Also, I think because it is such a larger population when we lived in Boston, greater Cincinnati being significantly smaller, it was harder to wrap around as a family maybe how to navigate all of the different opportunities that were there in Cincinnati. We're still pretty large. We're also fairly affordable as a community. So we have a lot more access to opportunities, I think, whether it's professional opportunities or getting involved in volunteering and stepping up. It's more easily accessed here. So I think that that's something that I want to remind people if if they grew up in this area and haven't had the opportunity to live elsewhere We have it really good, and we have some options for people to step up and become leaders in ways that maybe in larger communities it's a little more challenging Mm -hmm. to navigate. Were there formal programs, like when you mentioned of individuals from all different backgrounds, thoughts, and beliefs, were there formal programs where people come together and have intentional conversations, or was it just – you realize that everyone's from all over the world. I know, and just to add to that, I was talking to a client of ours recently, and he's from the Middle East, and he was sharing, until I moved to greater Cincinnati, I never read a local paper. Mm. I always listened to or read the news from the BBC and the Wall Street Journal. Like It didn't become super hyper-local. So Mm. I knew a lot more about what was going on in the world than I think most people who live in one city realize that there's a world out there. And where you were on campus, there were leaders from all over the world, families from all over the world. Was there an intentional type of programming that you joined and sought out, or was it just the culture that were more 
open to others' ideas and things of that nature? Well, I think I would say I'd have two answers. One, we lived in this great town of Belmont outside of Cambridge where Harvard University is located. And there were a lot of families who, like us, were transplants. They were there because they had work or some connection to one of the higher ed institutions or healthcare institutions. Uh, There's a lot of hospitals and health innovation and research there in Boston. And so just by our neighborhood schools, We saw a lot more overlap and interaction happening. I feel like we keep going back to the topic of schools, but it's true. I think schools have become the hubs of many communities just because you have a lot of opportunity to connect with families and help to support them. But I would say, so the school system itself was a great way for us to get to connect with those other families because it was a strong school system. Through the campus, There were a lot of opportunities, and I think this is true for many higher ed institutions. I know it's something that Dr. Ashish Vaidya at NKU really wants to promote, which is more of this global community opportunity for diverse opinions and different viewpoints. So we would have dinners that my husband, Trey, would help to convene. We called them director's dinners, and this was something that was from back in the day when he was an undergrad at the university, the college is what they call it for the undergrad portion where they would allow students and different leaders from across the U.S. and around the world to come together in a smaller format and just to have an off-the-record conversation. Mm -hmm. And we actually brought our daughters to some of these. It was pretty powerful to hear the questions that they have, which were answered with respect and dignity just as much as any of the other leaders sitting around the table. So we had some unique opportunities. I think some of that is, yes, it's Harvard University. We may not have necessarily the same people who might be visiting us, but I still think that opportunity to sit around a table, we talk about this at the Metropolitan Club a lot, I know you and I, about how the opportunity to sit down at a place, Jordan Huizinga even mentions this often, he works at Children Inc. and is a former Covington commissioner, where sitting around a table for a meal really breaks down some barriers and allows you maybe to have conversations that you wouldn't necessarily have in a more formal setting. So I have found that to be very true in life. I'm also a foodie, so anytime <laughs> I can have right. some tasty food as part of a really deep and invigorating conversation, I'm always ready for for that opportunity. That's great. Yeah. And it's been recently, having gone through Leadership Cincinnati, we've been creating these basically like inclusive conversations, crucial conversations, sitting down and breaking bread changes a lot of things, Mm. right? I know we did this in an exercise and some of the strategic planning work you and I were involved in two years ago at the Mm -hmm. Metropolitan Club where we were, the exercise was like, sit with individuals that you don't think you have much in common with and see how quickly you find that you do have something in common with them. Yes. And it was like the whole room within a minute 30 had it all figured out, right? (laughs) You know, I love wine, you love wine, I'm a dog lover, I have kids, I grew up here. There's you a know, lot of I think commonality. This way, a lot of commonality. Yeah. So that's a very powerful, the whole dinner table concept has come mm. up. I'm surprised how often that's come up in our podcast work. Yes. Oh, um, yes, absolutely. You know, right? Lots of different episodes. We've talked about it. And I think that's, you know, between that and education, I mm-hmm. was sharing recently, episode seven, Mehmet Yuksik was sharing that you know, he was in Istanbul as a child, grew Mm. up in Istanbul, and a teacher encouraged him to think about how big the world really was and what his future could look like that didn't mean that you have to leave where you are, Mm. but the world is your opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he has traveled all over the world and just a very different way of living, but one educator 
came to him and said, hey, you know, don't feel like you're stuck here. Right. You can go anywhere. And then his career path took him to Milan and then back to Istanbul to run a business and then here to North America to run a business that became a half a billion dollar company mm. prior to his recent departure. Nancy, share with us a little bit about when you and I talk, we're both very open to other people with other faith beliefs. Yes. And I think we're both like we just love people, love yes. to be around people, yeah. but we're also both very involved in our own faith and mm -hmm. our own church communities. Mm -hmm. Can you share with me, how does your church community and church leadership even fit into your view of how you're trying to change the world and how that comes into day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week operation? Mm. My faith has been very formative to me. This is something that I'm Episcopalian, I would say is not a topic that many Episcopalians necessarily feel comfortable <laughs> evangelizing or sharing faith. We tend to walk the walk better sometimes than we talk the talk. But I think for me growing up, the church with my family, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, and we went to Episcopal Church there. And that was our social network for us. My parents were both working. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. So for the three of us, when we were growing up, a lot of that formed, in my opinion, my worldview, some of my political beliefs even. And I liked that for me, my faith was able to be questioned a little bit so that as I was learning more about how people in that faith community approached God and bigger life questions and community questions and political questions— that it was okay to challenge that and think and to dig a little more. I'm a curious person. I like to learn. I never, never really want to stop learning. That's something that my husband and I both share is that we love having that steep learning curve. So for us, when we even got married, it was a no-brainer. We both felt very similar in terms of how we approach faith. And so our current church, where I am blessed really to be on our board, it's called the Vestry, Trinity Episcopal Church in Covington, Kentucky. It's actually... We're really going through this interesting phase as we're considering kind of the future coming years of how we can be more outfacing in the Covington community, which is going through a lot of growth, a lot of opportunity for residents to move in, to strengthen the schools and continue that growth that's already happening there. There is an IRS site that's going to be redeveloped. So how do we interact with people as we see economic development along the river? Some of the needs for the community might change. How are we truly helping our neighbors? All of this work, all of this discussion is dovetailing nicely into conversations I have with our daughters, with my husband, Trey, but also at the Met Club, also at Horizon Community Funds. So it's very much how do we maintain the growth that we have engage with people in a way that responds to the call that we have to serve others and to show that through our work that we're doing on a daily basis, but in a way that I think is authentic mm -hmm. or genuine. And there is a civic aspect to that that is emerging in a way that is beautiful to me for our church. And you know, some churches kind of shy away from getting more engaged in civic life. And this is something that I see is there's a groundswell of support. We've got a lot of diverse opinions in that church. So it's beautiful to have, you know, some disagreement maybe on some different topics. But at the end of the day, we're a bigger community. We're, as we would call it, a body of Christ so that we're able to do things together, again, in ways we wouldn't be able to do individually. Mm -hmm. So that's been formative for me. I think it's why I, in a nutshell, quite frankly, why I love the job that I do professionally, because it allows me to do that in a more secular way. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's been this lovely tapestry that's just been woven, and I look back over it and see 
I've been fortunate enough that even when obstacles have been thrown in our way and I wonder, okay, what's next, it is able to kind of take me further down the path than I might have originally anticipated. Yeah, yeah that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. I know when we look at organizations and we look at our community, so many of our communities were built on the hard work of churches in those communities yes. to be in the community. It's true. Right? And, you know, maybe despite what everyone thinks, places of worship, if they call it retrenched from mm-hmm. being involved, mm. you know, I tell everyone, like, how's it working out for us? Like, yeah. we need more churches and places of worship involved yes. in communities, and we need to be locked arm in arms. We're very excited having moved to Newport, Kentucky after 44 years mm-hmm. and Hamilton County and Sycamore Township to have moved in next to St. John's Church here, mm-hmm. who serves, like they serve. That's what the, I knew of them because they they host lunches and they have dinners and they host AA and NA and they're working with the community. Our senior pastor, I go to a church called Grace Fellowship Church. Mm-hmm. Our senior pastor kind of joke like, of course you all would move in next to a church as giving as, <laughs> as giving and engaged as you all are. And I just think we're fortunate to have been blessed and led to happen to buy a building mm-hmm. next to a church that is similar in thought. And the opportunities that churches have, that communities have, that educators have, that businesses have to like, let's just work together. Yes. Right? Let's work together to make this place a better place. And there's actually a book that's on my nightstand. You would chuckle. Actually, when my husband Trey listens to this podcast, he's going to die laughing. Each of us have a stack of books that we tend to read over a period of time. I do a lot of fiction, but there are a few nonfiction books in the mix, and he had suggested I read this, and it's called Alienated America. And for you book club lovers or those who are curious, it's by Timothy Carney, I believe. And it's all about the role of what communities in America are thriving and which ones aren't, and the big role that faith organizations and churches play in hmm. those that thrive. So it's one viewpoint, one perspective. You know, again, I always urge people to challenge and ask questions about any opinion that people might have, and especially a print form. I share that with my girls, always challenge, ask why, and ask how behind it. But I think it's a book that I'm looking forward to kind of sinking my teeth into because it's addressing all of these things. How can we create more vibrant communities? And really, if you're interested in considering how faith might play into that, this could be a book for you. Mm-hmm. So can you share a little bit about, there's two concepts I'd love for you to share with our listeners one is the 410. Oh, yeah. And then the other is give where you live. Yes. Can thank you. Can you share both how these two things have come about and what they mean to the future of our community? Sure. These are what are called giving circles. There are a wide number of these across the U.S. In concept, this is something that I was interested in experimenting with a little bit as a leader of a new community foundation. For those of you listening in, Horizon Community Funds is not even quite two years old, and we are a public grant-making charity that supports a specific geographic area, and for us, that's Boone, Kenton, and Campbell Counties. And so we fundraise to support the needs of the community in partnership with community members. So As we were talking, things are changing. Generations have different opinions on how they might want to be involved in different ways that they already are getting involved because of technology and the world is flat and a lot of other changes. So with Giving Circles, it really empowers individual groups to come together and support causes that they care about. So it allows people to put in a certain amount of money. They all agree to whatever that amount is, and then they decide where the money goes. And they decide the process in which they determine where the money goes to. So the 410 is 
representative of a giving circle that will be launching here in June of 2019. That is focused on young professionals coming together who want to make an impact in Northern Kentucky. 410 being the first three digits of our zip code in Northern Kentucky. And it is also the number that we ask and invite those participating members to contribute on an annual basis. And so $410. Then they come together and they will decide as a group what the focus area is, what if there is an application process, what that might look like for nonprofit organizations or other charitable efforts. And then they can decide together where that money goes. But the idea behind this too is to provide some networking opportunity for some cross-pollination to happen in a way that can hopefully be ongoing and not just a one-time thing, although if people want to do it one time, that's fine. But it's really meant to be more of an ongoing way to engage our rising leaders. So I'm truly excited about that. That's something that's been a personal passion of mine since we came back from Boston is encouraging that next succession of leadership to start happening. It's starting already, but how do we make that happen more widely and more deeply? And then forgive where you live, which your family is a member. So excited. This is radical. So this is... It's an idea that has actually very well succeeded in other areas of the U.S., but Woody and Bob Mueller, who are a son and a father running a financial services organization, came to me, their business, and they said, we have this idea. We've heard Horizons launched. We think it could be a good fit for us to partner together, and it's essentially speed philanthropy. So it's allowing people who are busy, and aren't we all busy, especially at the end of the school year right now, I can't think of anything that's more ingenious of having a short amount of time to really maximize people coming together for the benefit of the community. But four times a year, members come together for an hour for each of those four times, and they each put in $100. They put a name of a favorite charity in Northern Kentucky in a hat. Three are drawn at random, and then those three organizations are discussed by the group. There's there's kind of a pitch, if you'll recall from our first meeting, by those who put the name of those three organizations in the hat really briefly, only a few minutes long for each pitch, and then the group decides. They vote, and the top vote-getter ends up getting all of the money for that particular day, that meeting. So in under an hour, last time we gave out over $6,000 to the Shaving Care Center, which was an organization that provides care for our aging community, the elderly in Boone County. And they have already started with a path, a walking path that they are using this money for. They didn't have to apply for funds. There was not a long application process. It all happened within an hour. So there are a lot of people who've been really excited about this. People can still sign up today, give where you live, nky.org. If you want to sign up, it's a rolling basis membership, but you commit to a year for four meetings. So it's kind of fun. You get to hear a little bit about different organizations. I, I know your kids were there. I thought that was mm-hmm. fantastic that you are, are helping to kind of educate that next generation too, even in your own family. Yeah. And it was something I mentioned earlier around how kind of my parents thought that Amber and I have been very happy to share with our children. You know, we're a family. I know Craig Young, who was an early mentor of mine in the whole philanthropic scene. And his comment was, I was actually looking, Ray Allen and Ron Brown had connected me to Craig because I asked the question of, I want to meet with some senior philanthropists that have really involved their children Mm. in their strategies. And maybe they have like an actual giving strategy as a family. And sure enough, the youngs do. Mm. And so we actually let our kids 
choose which organization that we put our ticket in at the Give Where You Live NKY event. So our three kids went up by themselves. Amber and I stayed back and let them kind of talk about where they felt they were going to put their money in the basket and that, you know, contribute our family vote. Yes. And we're looking forward to the next one. It's going to be fun. Yeah, the next one's coming up in June. Uh, Anyone can sign up for that. Same with the 410. We're we're still accepting members for that group. I have found we just had a summit on next-gen giving, and it was really exciting. We had 150 people, I'd say, come from northern Kentucky. Different backgrounds, different professions, but hearing from others on how they are engaging or leading the work related to next-generation giving And there was a friend of mine who goes to our church who has what's called a donor-advised fund. And she uses that fund, which is given to an organization. We hold those types of funds at Horizon, but also there are other groups like Fidelity and Schwab who and Vanguard who hold them too, where it allows you to make recommendations where those grants go after you've made gifts. You establish a fund. And so she leverages that fund to help her children do the same thing that we're doing with Give Where You Live with your kids, but within their own family. So they flex that donor advised fund to allow, she has four children, how they are able to make a difference. I believe if they haven't done it, they're contemplating doing a matching gift (laughs) through that fund for wherever the kids want to grant their money. So to me, I love this kind of interconnected, multi-generational approach, and we're starting to see that happen more because, you know, if we want to be caretakers of our communities, I think that's the best way to do it is really to, to have... Uh, young people step up, youth and children and young adults, give them those early experiences so that it becomes a habit and not something that they're uncomfortable doing as they get older. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, many that are, as they're older, are because they didn't have that exposure as a child. So just the opposite, the same thing what you just said, just flip the other way that Mm -hmm. we see and hear and talk about, you know, and it's like, well, this is kind of what we should be doing. We Mm. should be caring about, you know, $410 can go a long way if there's 100 people involved. Mm. into a cause in our community. So thank you for leading the 410 as well as the Give Where You Live NKY and to the Mullers to really lean into that work as well. Yes, it's been a great partnership. And thanks to you for being part of that. Yeah, well, we uh, doesn't take us long to have our arm twisted by Nancy Grayson. So <laughs> people uh, are going to start running when they see me walking down the street. <laughs> no, you should just uh, do what I do and just say whatever you need, Nancy. Um, so again, I thank you and Trey for leading so well in our community and being such prominent faces, being willing to utilize your family as an example of leading well in the community. Mm-hmm and serving well in the community and caring for our community and and discussing how faith works into your leadership and how we're working together to really change the or help mold mm. and form the next generation of you know philanthropy giving serving helping and I really appreciate this time that you've invested with us today. I'm grateful just to spend any time with you, Mike Sipple. <laughs> and folks, come on down to this beautiful building here in Newport at 401 Park. It's a gorgeous space that I know the community will really enjoy benefiting from. Yeah, thank you. And to our listeners, we thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope that this is one more conversation to help you and your journey of leadership and leading well. And thank you so much for being a part of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast community. When you lead a team or an organization that have countless responsibilities to attend to, it's easy to forget about taking care of yourself. There are three pillars of personal care that will make you a better leader. 
Find out what they are and how to work them into your busy schedule at talentmagnetinstitute.com slash lead well. That's talentmagnetinstitute.com slash lead well. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.